appreciate all y'all being here as well. I mean, uh, a few people messaged me tonight saying they couldn't come, and, and of course I understand that. I'm not able to be here every week either. But uh, those of us that couldn't make it, and those of us that do come to this place, we come here for a reason. And that reason is we desire to draw closer to Jesus Christ. We desire to become more like him. We, uh, we want to know God more. We want to worship him here. And if it's, if it's possible, and in some way I know that it is possible, we would like to actually be, <laughs> we would actually like to have our hearts changed more to be more like Jesus Christ. We, we want to be more like Jesus Christ when we walk out that door than we were when we came in. This is why we're here. And it's, it's a, that's kind of a difficult and a, a very mysterious thing for that to happen, for your heart to be transformed, for your heart to be changed, <laughs> to be more like Christ's heart. But somehow, God is able to make that happen. Somehow, through, through imperfect people, like me standing up here speaking about the word of God, like any of the rest of us when we get to small group or, or share our comments and questions as we, as we talk here tonight, somehow through, through us, imperfect people, God is able to do a perfect work. It's amazing. So I, I appreciate y'all coming along and, and partnering with me on this and drawing closer to Jesus Christ as, as, as much as we can. So... Uh, we've been going through Acts, as many of y'all know. Darren's been uh, providing some excellent messages for us out of the book of Acts. Uh, this last week, is, as I've been considering what I would speak about, or what passage we'd look through tonight, um, God told me the book of Philippians, specifically chapter 2. And so, you know, a few days ago I, I knew that, uh, but I did, still didn't know what we'd be talking about. Um, and then I started to read it the last few days. Uh, I spent quite a bit of time on it this morning and, and more this afternoon. And uh, I got to tell you, God's really teaching me some things. He's really convicting me of some things that I see in Philippians chapter 2. I think possibly one of the reasons that I, that I uh, was even thinking of Philippians in the first place is uh, a pastor friend of mine once said, if you ever meet a new Christian and they're wondering, uh, where they should even start in the Bible. The Bible's a pretty big book. And uh, I, was, I was talking to Josh earlier today, and he was, he was saying how, um, you know, you were saying you started in the Old Testament one time and found it kind of difficult. And then you moved to the New Testament, and it was a little bit, uh, little bit more, a little easier to digest, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's, it's that way for a lot of Christians. And, and for, for Philippians, uh, a lot of pastors say that it's, it's possibly one of the easiest books in the Bible to just pick up and read, whether you're, uh, if you're a new Christian, it's pretty easy, but even if you're an old Christian, there's still some really powerful, uh, really important things that it can teach you, and uh, like I said, I, I was learning quite a bit out of it today, um, and this last week, so let's go ahead and read it, uh, Philippians chapter 2, um, I don't know if, we, yeah, we have, Daniel has it up on the board for us. Um, and if you'll have your own Bibles, you can follow along. I think we have some more Bibles in the back if, if anybody needs one. Um, I'll just read through it. The first 18 verses we're going to be covering tonight. Philippians chapter 2, ver starting in verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation in love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, 
if any affection and mercy. Fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your attitude that of Jesus Christ, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man, in his eternal form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, even more in my absence, and this is Paul talking to the church, he's saying, even though I'm gone, you have always obeyed. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, both enabling you to desire and to work out his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Hold firmly to the message of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. A lot of really good phrases in that that passage. Um, that one in the middle there is is probably one of the most quoted passages in all the scriptures. Uh, but what I want to focus on in there tonight is when Paul talks about the attitude, having the attitude of Christ. And so here's my question to start off this this sermon or this discussion. And this is a question for y'all. Feel free to answer if you like. What is a Christian attitude? Have you, have you ever heard someone talk about a Christian attitude? I, I don't know that I really have. It's, it's, not a, it's not a super common phrase, but you've, you've heard people use that phrase? Oh, yeah? A Christian? Has he? I can see that. Um, okay, so whether you've heard the phrase before or not, when I, say, when I use that term, if I say Christian attitude, someone has a Christian attitude, uh, what do you all think that that means? How would you describe a Christian attitude? Well, either one. Just you know, what do you think it means? Somebody that loves God, loves to kind of tick off the line of believers. Mm. Kind of knows and practices the God of what comes from the Bible. Yeah. So has has scripture on their tongue. Yeah. Someone bold in the faith. Yeah. 
Mm. So having the attitude of Christ himself. Absolutely. Yes? Someone who's who. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, being patient, enduring things that are uncomfortable, um, being content in situations where most people aren't content, that in and of itself. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember where the passages where Paul talks about that specifically. I forget which epistle it's in, but, you know, he, he makes the comment, you know, everyone loves those who love them. But he says, I tell you, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you, right? And so the New Testament paints a very, um, a very convicting picture, I guess, of, of that facet of a Christian attitude and the way that Christians should respond to people who don't like them, just like you were saying. Everybody, even the heathens, they love people that love them, right? If we act like the heathens and we also love people who love us, we like the people that like us, why would the world take notice? Why would they think that we were any different? They wouldn't. If we act just like the heathens, then the world is not going to be able to tell us apart. What should be setting us apart? One of the things that should be setting us apart is our Christian attitude. And part of that, like you're saying, is the fact that we, uh, we respond differently. We respond differently. When, when most people would be very impatient, we should be patient. Because God commands that of us, and he allows us to do that. When uh, most people are very hateful, and when they're when they're when their feathers are ruffled, and when they're they're egged on to get angry and even violent, you know, Christians should not only be nonviolent in our actions, but we should be nonviolent in our hearts. We should have, you know, it's not a sin to be angry necessarily, especially if you're angry for the right reasons. But the Bible says, "Don't be quick." It says God is not quick to anger. And we should not be either. So those are those are definitely some hallmarks of um, of a godly attitude, a Christian attitude, or a Christ-like attitude. Uh, but some of the things in this in this passage, a lot of the things in this passage that we just read, focus on a Christian attitude. In fact, in the first couple of verses, um, I see seven things that are listed that uh, that go along with having a Christian attitude. Uh, let me read those two verses again. Verse 1, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking in the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, and focusing on one goal. What did he list there? Encouragement, love, fellowship with the Spirit of God, affection, mercy, joy, Unity through Christ. These are all things that he is encouraging us to put on in our attitude. You're all familiar with the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, etc. What does that mean to have the fruits of the Spirit? Yeah, to be gifted, to be gifted with the fruits. Yeah, why do you, why do you think they call it fruit? Fruits are good. Yeah, absolutely. Fruits are sweet. Yep, both both good answers. 
Another, um, another reason they're called fruits is because a fruit is something that grows out of a tree or it grows out of a plant. If you pick a fruit of an apple tree, you're going to have an apple. If you pick a fruit of an orange tree, you're going to have an orange. If you pick a fruit of the Spirit, what is that going to be? It is going to be a good fruit that is of the Spirit of God, right? It is going to be spiritual fruit. Jesus had a conversation with his disciples before he left. He said, gentlemen, this is my paraphrase. Gentlemen, I'm going to have to leave you. But it is good for you that I go. This is John chapter 16. It is, I believe, 16 or 14. He said, it is good for you that I'm going to go because if I stay here with you, then my Father in heaven cannot send you the Comforter. Who's the Comforter? That's, that's the Holy Spirit. If I stay with you, my Father cannot send you the Holy Spirit. But when I go, he will send the Holy Spirit to you, right? After Jesus Christ did in fact leave, he gave the, his disciples the Great Commission. Then he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father in his Father's throne. And then a few days later at Pentecost, there was the sound of a rushing mighty wind and tongues of flame appeared over the, the apostles' heads, and they began to speak in the tongues of different men around them the wondrous works of God. And then Peter, emboldened with a great boldness, he stood up in front of the thousands of people that were present at Pentecost, and he began to preach, and he began to display great understanding of the prophecies of the Old Testament, and he began to explain to the Jews and those of the Jewish faith what had happened over the last few days. He explained to them how Christ's death was a fulfillment of all of the prophecies that they had read about in the Torah, in the Jewish religious work. And the people were amazed, and nearly everyone when there was saved because of the great boldness that Peter had and the great understanding that he shared. And the only reason that was possible was because Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It gave him great boldness, and it gave him great understanding. And everyone who was saved, everyone who was saved at that time and everyone who was saved after that, including every one of us, if you're saved by Jesus Christ, then God has given you his spirit. God has given you his spirit. In verse 1, it says, Paul talks about the Christian attitude, and he said, if you have any fellowship with the spirit, that's fellowship with the spirit of God. He's speaking to the church. The church is... The church is the group of people who are saved by Jesus Christ. All of these people have the Spirit of God. And what he's commenting on is not whether they have the Spirit, but it's whether they fellowship with the Spirit. What's fellowship? That's what we're having here tonight. That's what we've been having as we, as we ate and, and gathered around the table and, and had conversation with each other. We were visiting. We were talking. We were, we were having a good time. We were, we were sharing thoughts. We were even sharing... As we, as we shared praise reports and prayer requests, we shared our concerns with each other. We were having fellowship with each other. If you have fellowship with the Spirit of God, it's the exact same thing. It's a friendship. It's a conversation. It's, it's, it's getting together with and spending time with and speaking and sharing with the Holy Spirit. And it works two ways. The Holy Spirit spends time and speaks and shares with you. That's the marvelous thing. It, it, would be, it would be an awful pity, wouldn't it, if we were uh, Buddhists or Hindus or something and, and we, we, uh, you know, we had some 
some decent ideas about you know peace or whatever but uh maybe some maybe some you know decent morals but we worshiped a false god wouldn't that wouldn't that be miserable that is a what what i would call a one-way religion you serve a god who does absolutely nothing for you because they do not exist if you don't exist you can't do much if you worshiped a god that didn't exist that God would not be able to do much for you. He wouldn't be able to comfort you. He wouldn't be able to bless you. It would just, it would be tragic. But the, the wonderful thing that we've been blessed with is we have been introduced to a God who is real and a God who, who, was, who so humbled himself, the Son of God so humbled himself that he came down, he sacrificed his Godhood, became a man, and, and laid down his life so that we could live forever. And then he sent the spirit of God, which has, which is now able to come and live inside of us and have fellowship with us. That is a tremendous blessing. I don't even know what percent of, of people on earth right now are Christians. I don't know, is it 5%? 3%? Not enough. A lot of people are missing out on this blessing and, and it's, it's, it's humbling for me to even think about that because so many of the people that have the blessing of the Holy Spirit, they don't use it. So many of the people that, that are true Christians, that have the Spirit of God living inside them, they do not fellowship with that Spirit. They, they, they don't speak to God. They don't listen to God. And, and so, as a result, they're not blessed by God. And one of the blessings that we'll be talking about tonight is how God can really transform your mind and how he can really transform your attitude. Verses 3 and 4. Paul says, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. And then verse 4 he says, everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. There's a, there's a pretty clear theme going on in those two verses. Um, even last week we were talking a little bit about the second commandment. You know, when the Pharisees asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your, and all your strength. And then he said, and the second greatest commandment is like that first commandment. It's love your neighbor as yourself. Paul sheds some light on that second commandment. He clarifies it for us. He, sa he says, he, the picture that he paints is not the picture where it says, okay, you know, you need to, you need to love yourself and you need to love others, you know, kind of equally. Love, love everybody the same. Paul's actually saying, consider others as more important than yourselves, right? So... Apparently what Jesus was talking about was not just, okay, love others as much as you love yourself. He was saying, love others more than you love yourself. And actually consider others to be more important than yourself. And when you look out for human interests, serve others before you serve yourself. There's another passage in the same book that says, let no man think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Let no 
no man think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Well, what Paul's telling us here <laughs> is that we really shouldn't think too highly of ourselves at all. So, I picked out three more things about a Christian attitude from these verses. We looked at seven things that a Christian attitude should be full, filled with. There are also three things that a Christian attitude should not include, does not include. A Christian attitude does not act out of jealousy. Paul says don't do anything out of rivalry or vain conceit. A Christian attitude does not think that you are the most important. Which, by the way, that's human nature, isn't it? Everyone is born thinking they're the most important person on the planet. If you're hungry, you want to feed yourself. Because other people's stomachs aren't growling at you. Your stomach is growling at you, and you want to feed it. If, if, uh, if there's a need for money, if there's a need for anything in the world, whose needs do you think about first? Usually yourself. Like I said, it's human nature. But that goes back to what Jesus said about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. What that means is, people, look at yourself. Look at the amount of care that you take for yourself. Look at how you are eager to fill your own stomach. Look at how you are eager to fill your own pockets. Look at how you are eager to satisfy all your own needs. Look at that. Love other people that way. And then maybe don't even love yourself quite that much. Consider other people to be more important than yourselves. Paul doesn't say don't look out for your own interests. He says, do not look out only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And yet, if you consider others to be more important than you, whose interests do you take care of first? Hmm. For me in my life, I think that means that I'm the last person that I should consider. And I'll be honest, that's a difficult thing to do. It goes against my nature. It goes against <laughs> the way I was born to think. But let me tell you something. There was a man who came to Jesus and he asked Jesus, what can I do? What must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, all you have to do, I'm paraphrasing again, all you have to do is become born a second time. All you have to do is be born again. And we've all heard this phrase, right? You're a born again Christian. You just got to be born again. Back then it wasn't quite a, such a common phrase. And the uh, Nicodemus was confused, and he said, Jesus, what are you talking about? What does this born again mean? Am I supposed to enter into my mother's womb a second time and be born? As, you know, Jesus, you're talking crazy. But the Jesus explained it to him. And now that we've experienced this, and people have been experiencing this for thousands of years, we now understand what Jesus was talking about. Being born again it's like being born the first time. When you're first born, you do come out of your mother's womb and, and you take your first breath and your, your mind wakes up and you receive a nature. The Bible calls this the nature of the first Adam, right? The nature that we have as men and women, as human beings that God created, the nature that we have is the same nature that Adam and Eve had. It's the nature of the first Adam. But then the New Testament also talks about a second Adam, when the Bible talks about the second Adam, it's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had a very different nature than Adam did. When you're born again, 
Just as when you were born once, you received one nature. When you're born again, you receive a second nature. You receive the nature of the second Adam. You still have your old flesh, but in a very real sense, you are born a second time. You receive a new mind. You receive the promise of a new body. Once you die, Jesus is going to, God is going to glorify your body, an, e an eternal body that will ha be able to spend eternity in a world where there's no, there are no tears, there's no pain, there's no sorrow, and we spend an eternity with God, a body that is able to, en to endure that forever and live forever. And then we receive the opportunity for a completely new heart. Jeremiah said it this way. He said, Lord, you have taken away a heart of stone from me, and you have given me a heart of flesh. You've taken away my cold, hard heart and given me a heart with a conscience that's able to feel, that's able to, that's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And once Jesus covered us with his blood, something miraculous happened. Have you all heard that phrase before? Being covered by the blood of Christ? You know what that means? Once upon a time, when Adam and Eve, they ate the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they brought sin into the world, they became corrupted, they would one day die, right? And in a spiritual sense, they had already died, and they became sinful. That's where the nature of the first Adam comes from. It's the sinful nature. Adam and Eve became beings that were just by nature opposed to God and everything that he stood for. And when God looks upon people with that nature, with a sinful nature, when God looks upon sin, it's like a poison to him. He can't, he can't have it near himself. The very nature of God, the holy nature of God, it's like a light that can't have darkness in its presence. You notice when you shine a flashlight, all the darkness goes away? That's the way that God is with sin. His presence, just by the nature of who he is, it cannot have darkness in it. It cannot have, he cannot have sin into himself. And so if we desire to have fellowship with God, that is literally not possible unless we are made clean and the darkness is taken out of us. It is, you know, some people think that God is cruel for keeping sinners away from himself and, and putting sinners in, in hell and you know, casting them away from himself. In a very real sense, he can't help it. His very nature, is, his nature is that he cannot have darkness in his presence. And so, as human beings, we're born with that darkness in us. We're born with sin. And so, as soon as we are born, we have a certain nature that cannot be in the presence of God. And when God looks at us, all he sees is that poison. All he can see is that sin because that is all that we are. But the miracle of being covered by the blood of Christ is this. Well, let, let, me, uh, let, me, let me see if I can think of a good illustration for this. I mean, think of any other covering. If you take something and you cover it over with a blanket and you look at that thing, what do you see? Whatever's covered up, you can't see anymore. All you see is the blanket. When we were covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, when God looks at us, he cannot see 
our sinful nature anymore because we've been transformed, because Jesus' blood, has the, sh- the blood that Jesus Christ shed, it covers us. And now when God looks at us, he sees his perfect son in whom he is pleased. Because Jesus Christ died and endured the wrath of God for us, because he made that incredible sacrifice for us, we now get to take his perfect life and he covers us over with it and we are pure in the sight of God and it is now possible for us to be in God's presence. That's a miracle. How, how God even, even found a way to make that work is miraculous. It's amazing to me. Let's look at verse 5. Paul says, Make your own attitude that of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Very straightforward. It's exactly what Chris was saying earlier. A Christian attitude is the attitude that Jesus Christ had. Y'all are familiar with the, uh, the phrase, What would Jesus do? People wear those bands, WWJD. On some, in some sense, that's a, that's a biblical principle. In fact... Paul takes it a step further than that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, he's speaking to Christians, to the church. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Right? Jesus said that we should imitate him. Paul says, I'm already imitating Jesus. And at the time Paul spoke, Jesus was gone. He was ascended into the heavens. You know, it was, it was the only way we could know what Jesus did was if we read about it in the Gospels. We could, people couldn't see Jesus with their eyes. But guess what? They could see Paul with their eyes. And Paul was filled with the Spirit of God. And Paul was following the example of Jesus Christ. And so what did Paul say to the church? He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. Right? And so it becomes, what would Jesus do? And what would Paul do? Because we know that Paul would do what Jesus would do. Right? pretty straightforward and uh, in a a very real sense if we're talking about a Christian attitude if we want to know what the attitude of Jesus Christ was yes we can read about it in the Gospels for the people that were around when Paul was alive they could look at the attitude of Paul because he had the attitude of Jesus Christ and if they conformed to Paul they would be conforming to Jesus Christ and guess what the pattern continues Jesus influenced Paul, taught Paul. Paul influenced and taught others. And it goes on and on down the line until someone introduced you and you and you and I to Jesus Christ. And that person, let me tell you, the people that introduce you to Christ, the people that have taught you about Christ, the people that continue to teach you about Christ and encourage you in the word of God and encourage you to follow the Lord and pursue the Lord, those are the people, just just instinctively, those are the people that you are going to look at and imitate. Because that is a, there's, there's a, a common phrase, a good one, that says, you know, you might be the only Bible that someone, you know, that that person ever reads. People don't pick up their Bibles very much. But if you're living the Bible out and they see your life, you're the only scripture they're going to read, possibly. Hopefully they're inspired and they, and they talk to you about Jesus and they come to the Lord and they read the Bible on their own. But for a lot of people, the only Bible they read is just watching Christians and the way that they live and what they say. 
And, you know, <laughs> in Paul's case, Paul was a very faithful man. Paul studied the word of God and he pursued the Lord and he planted churches. He was a missionary and a teacher and a prophet. And when people imitated him, they did well because he imitated Christ well. But the point I'm getting at is we also should imitate Christ well so that when people imitate us, they will be imitating Jesus Christ. And that includes the attitude. So back, back to what you were saying, Chris, about a Christian attitude being the attitude of Christ. There's a passage that I'm thinking of from the Gospels that says that Jesus had the oil of joy. That's kind of a figure of speech, but what it's, what it's saying is Jesus was a joyful man. He was filled with joy. Obviously, he was filled with wisdom, the wisdom of God. I mean, you look at every single thing that he said, it's incredibly wise. But I always thought it was interesting that it pointed out specifically that Jesus was a very joyful man. And Paul, as he's imitating Christ, the last thing he says to us is, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering, even if I'm sacrificed for you in the service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice in me. Rejoice with me, I'm sorry. Paul talks about that over and over and over again as he talks about the mind that we should have and the attitude that we should have as Christians and the attitude that Christ had that we should imitate. He talks about joy. He says rejoice. He said he is glad. He says, even if I am sacrificed for you, I will be glad because of what God is doing through me. And he says to the church, rejoice with me. That is a hallmark of a Christian attitude is joy. And, and I, I'll be perfectly honest. I was incredibly convicted when I read that, especially today as I was going over this passage. Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, I don't have a gloom and doom personality exactly, but I'm, I'm not, you know, there are a lot of people that are very, that have really just absorbed the joy of Christ and really emanate with the joy of Christ. And I'm, you know. Just in my spiritual walk, I just haven't really got there yet. But but I'm, I'm convicted I'm an, and I'm encouraged. Uh, let me tell you why I'm encouraged, by the way. I was speaking earlier about the Spirit of Christ and the amazing gift that that is to us. Paul talks about that a little bit in verses 12 and 13. He says, So then, my dear friends, just as you always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also even more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both enabling you to desire and to work out his good purpose. Okay, so the first thing Paul says there he's, is he says, first, first of all, he congratulates them. And he says, you have done well for being obedient when I'm with you and when I'm not with you, right? So they weren't just being obedient to, to show off for Paul. They were being obedient for the sake of Jesus Christ. But he says, as you're being obedient, this is what you need to do, church. Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. Let me ask you all something. Why does Paul say work out your salvation if they're already saved? It's a matter of the heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, here, here's a little bit of a... A framework, I guess, to understanding what Scripture means when it says when it talks about salvation. 
Did you know there are actually three different kinds of salvation in Jesus Christ? The first one is called justification. But the Bible talks about all three of these. The first one is called justification. Okay, that's that's um, that's what happens when you're born again. That's what happens when when the Holy Spirit convicts you and calls you, and you answer. And you ask Jesus into your heart, and He comes in, and you're born again. That's called justification. If you have been justified, we would say you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the first one. The second one is called sanctification. That's the kind of salvation that happens day by day. right? It doesn't start until you're saved. But then once you're saved, God will begin to work in your heart. And he'll start to sanctify you. And as you pursue the Lord, and as you ask him for wisdom, he'll fill you with wisdom. As you ask him to, to change your attitude, his spirit inside of you will do his good work and, and transform your mind and transform your heart. And you will be saved more and more day by day. That's sanctification. The third kind is glorification. And you won't see that one, folks, until you get to heaven. God will actually glorify your body and he will save you completely so that you can spend eternity with him. So here, when he says work out your salvation, he's talking about number two, sanctification. And he says it is God who works in you, enabling you to desire and to work out his good purpose. Remember back in the first verse, <laughs> he was talking about the church and how they had fellowship with the Spirit of God. Well, here he's talking about something really amazing that the Spirit does for us. He says that God is doing a work inside you. He says that God is actually changing what your desires are. Do you know that God can do that? He can change what it is that you want. He can change what it is that you what it is that you desire, what it is that you search for. And it says he, he also works in you to work out his good purpose, right? So because we have the Spirit of God in us, we have an ability to do something that no one else does. Do you realize that if you don't know Christ, anyone out there who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't have Christ in their heart, they're stuck where they are. They cannot change their hearts. They cannot change their minds. Their desire, whatever their desires are, that's just what they are. You can't, you can't just decide, you know, an orchid can't just decide one day, I want to be an apple tree. It's not able to do that. It doesn't have that power. You know, someone with a, someone with a, you know, a certain pattern of sin, someone with a, a certain tendency, they can't just decide one day, well, I'm not going to have this tendency anymore. I mean, can you form new habits? Yes, to a degree. But you can't have a transformation of your heart without Jesus. It is simply not possible. But what do we have? We, don't, we do not only have the blood of Christ which covers us. We also have the Spirit of God which lives inside us. The Bible says that His Spirit testifies with our spirit. And so the human soul, the human spirit which is inside of us, it's the part of you that thinks. It's the part of you that desires things. It's the part of you that that uh, is able to do good or bad. God's spirit, once it was placed inside of you, it was connected to your spirit. And guess what? The spirit of God can change your spirit. It can change what your spirit desires. 
It can change you in your soul. The way that you think. What you want. And what you are able to do. Remember a moment ago when I was talking about Pentecost. And Peter. This fisherman. This uneducated fisherman. He stood up in front of thousands. He didn't know public speaking. He didn't know how to... He'd never been to law school. He'd never never been to, to, he'd never even been to Hebrew school. I don't even know if he could read. But he was able to stand up with great boldness before thousands of people and explain things that no one in the nation had ever understood before him. He explained the, all of the prophecies from all of the prophet, Jewish prophets of times past and unfolded great mysteries. And with great boldness, he was able to speak and... <laughs> The Bible says that although there were many in the building that spoke different languages, everyone could understand because everyone could hear it in their own language. If Peter could do that, what could we do if we had the same spirit? And guess what? We do. And the spirit of God moves in us in the same way that it moved in Peter. It can fill us... You know, the first thing that you thought of when I talked to Josh, when I talked about the Christian attitude, is you said someone who's not shy, someone who has great boldness. Now, personally, I can relate with that because I've struggled with a lot of shyness. I still do some. But if I have something on my heart that I know needs to be said and I know God wants me to say it, then by golly, God can fill me with boldness and I can explain it and I can speak about it and whatever fear or whatever whatever apprehensions I have about not being able to say it correctly or anything, it all goes away. Because it's not my spirit in control anymore. It is actually the spirit of God. And so God's spirit doesn't just change what, what it is that you want. It doesn't only explain things that are difficult to understand in Scripture. It does both of those things, but there's also a third thing that it does. Paul said, says it ena God enables us, he works in us through his spirit to work according to his good pleasure. So the purposes of God can and will be accomplished through you because the spirit of God can and will give you the power to do that. That is an amazing gift. It's a gift that all of us have. If you're saved, you have it. But it's a gift that very few Christians have, have been able to really sink their teeth into. And really, it's a gift that very few people use to the fullness of its potential. So, But I, I want to be one of the people that, um, <laughs> that really has my desires changed so that I have a Christ-like attitude. You know, I, I want, I want to, to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I want to fellowship with the Spirit so that so that He'll change what I want, so that I'll want the things that God wants. I want to fellowship with the Spirit so that so that He'll teach me, and I'll be able to understand the Word of God. And I want to fellowship with the Spirit so that uh, actually I want to stay in fellowship with the Spirit, so that as I go out and I desire to live a Christian life, I desire to live the way that Jesus lived. I want the Spirit to be in me and to be working in me to be giving me boldness, to, be, to, to, to give me the ability to speak and explain and, and whatever it is that God wants me to do. We all have different callings. Whatever God's calling is for your life, 
The Spirit of God will give you the power to do that. If you just let him. Because guess what? God is always taught. Does God ever run out of things to, to teach you? Does he ever run out of things to say? I don't think so. Sometimes we, uh, sometimes we get tired of listening. But God's always talking to us. God's always teaching us. Uh, does God ever run out of power to give you? To go, you know, if, if um, I don't know that God will ever want me or anyone I know to go do this, but if God wanted me to go move a mountain, does he have enough power to let me do that? Absolutely. Jesus said, if you just have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can just speak to the mountain. Tell it to go cast itself into the ocean, and it'll do that. I haven't, I haven't moved any mountains lately, so I guess my faith is pretty small. But God absolutely has the power. He has the power to change your desires. He has the power to teach you, give you understanding, give you wisdom. He has the power to give you power to do his work, to work according to his purposes. And he will do all of those things. So what do we need to do? I think we need to have a Christian attitude. I think we need to, what are the things that Paul talked about at the beginning of this passage? He said, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any affection and mercy. Fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on the same goal. Now, I mentioned unity through Christ briefly at the beginning of this talk, but you know, Paul talks about unity as a good thing. The only way, you know, actually there are a lot of, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of non-Christians that really desire unity. You know, they want, they want everyone to coexist. They want, ev they want the whole world to be peaceful. And uh, honestly, they really haven't had any success making that happen. And the reason is that <laughs> the non-Christian attitudes that, that we all, that the world has, we've all been focusing on ourselves. When, you fo when everyone focuses on themselves, guess what happens? Whose interests are we furthering? Our own. And so if you have, what, 7 billion people on the planet following several billion, 7 billion different interests, that's not going to bring you much unity. <laughs> kind of makes sense that the world hasn't been real successful in making, you know, in unifying the human race. But what if we all have the same spirit inside us? The same spirit so that we all desire the same thing. So that we all have the same power. So that we're all connected to a head, which is Jesus Christ. And just like the body obeys the head, what if we all obeyed Christ? Then would we have unity? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Paul talks about this in Romans, and he talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, you all have different offices, you all have different gifts, but you all have the same spirit. The spirit may be doing different things through different, through different people in the church. That's wonderful. That's according to God's design. We don't all need to be doing the exact same thing the exact same way. God's given us different gifts, different abilities, different callings. But it's all according to the same spirit. It's all, we're all connected to the same head. The only time you see dissension and fighting in the church, the only time that ever happens 
is if someone is disconnected from the head of Jesus Christ, if they're not obeying him, and they're not looking out for the interests of others, but they're looking out for their own interests above everything else. And so, the Christian attitude, if you can boil it down, <laughs> the attitude that Christ had, that we should have, you know, Christ Christ really blessed us. You know, he, he didn't he didn't stay in heaven. He actually came down. He took on a human body. He lived a human life. And we got to, the world got to see with human eyes what the attitude of Jesus Christ was because we saw him as a man. He was joyful. He was a servant. This passage focuses on that as well. It says, Says, even although Jesus existed in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. It says he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his eternal form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, death on the cross. And this is why God exalted him. It reminds me of something that Jesus said in Matthew 20. His disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest in heaven. Peter was thinking, I'm going to be the greatest. I think, I think uh, James and John went to Jesus in private and said, Hey, Jesus, <clears throat> can, we, can we just settle this right now? You know, at your table in heaven, you know, can, can, I, can I sit on your right hand and, and he sits on your left and we can be your you know, right and left hand commanders up there in heaven government? And God said, okay, first of all, that's not something that I don't even get to decide that. My Father in Heaven has already decided how things work up there. It's not even up to me. And then he said, oh, and by the way, that's not even how it works. He said, if any of you desire to become great, you must be the servant of all. And whoever wants to be the first among you must be a slave. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, just as Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And so Jesus is using himself as the example. He's, he's saying to his disciples, look at the way that I am living. That Peter had already said at that point that Jesus was the Son of God. They knew that this was God standing before them. But Jesus said, look at the way that I am living with you right now. I am here to serve you. Jesus didn't come with an army. He didn't come with a, with a great castle and kingdom and crown having the people of the world serve him he was worthy of that he's god but he didn't come in that way he came to serve and he's saying the same way that i'm living is the way that you should live if you want to become great in the kingdom of god you must be a servant to all well that seems to be pretty consistent to what P paul was saying when he said consider others interests ahead of your own seemed pretty consistent with what jesus had said earlier you know the way that you love yourself, love others that same way. The way that you seek after your own interests, seek after others' interests that way. And consider them more highly than you consider yourself. Jesus is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But he is also the one who has given the most up. He has made a greater sacrifice than any of us could ever give. He took upon himself the entire wrath of God. Basically, that's hell. That's what hell is. 
It's God's wrath being poured out on you for eternity. And Jesus Christ was able to take all of it. He was in the grave, what, about three days? Hmm. Jesus gave more than any of us will ever be able to give, and he is the greatest. Anyone who wants to be great <laughs> must give as much as you can to others. And Jesus said that whatever you have done for the least of one of these, you've done for me. So that's a Christian attitude. The attitude of joy. Jesus was joyful. Paul was joyful. Paul says we should share his joy. If you're joyful, if you have a joy in Christ, that's a Christian attitude. If you're encouraging, if you're loving, if you have the fruits of the Spirit of God, if you have Christ's Spirit, then you should have the fruits of that Spirit, right? Jesus had the fruits of the Spirit. If you have godly affection, if you're merciful, if you live in unity through the Spirit of God. And if you look out for the interests of others ahead of yourself. That's what a Christian attitude looks like. So, like I said, <laughs> there's a lot, there's enough conviction there to go around. Uh, certainly, uh, certainly God has been, been convicting me that, uh, that I don't have as much of a Christian attitude as I ought to. But I'll, I will definitely be uh, reading that passage some more. And I encourage you all to do the same. You know, just uh, it says in the book of James that the man who reads the Bible and doesn't follow it is like a man who looks into a mirror. And as soon as he walks away, he forgets what sort of man he is. That's, that's, uh, that's not a real smart thing to do. That's, that's not a sign of a, real, uh, a really mindful person. If I, if I go and, and if I use the restroom real quick and... And uh, I see myself, and I walk away, and I forget what I look like. I'm not very good at retaining information. Um, I must be a pretty forgetful fellow. But how often do I read the Word of God? And I'm convicted. And then I close the book, and then I stop thinking about it. And then I go throughout my life, and I have this non-Christian attitude. And I forget what sort of man I am, right? I'm convicted even now thinking about that that passage and realizing that that as I go through my week I need to op be opening up Philippians chapter 2 again checking my attitude. It's pro that's probably a good habit for me to get into. Just just read the scripture throughout the day. Maybe even just stick on that one passage Philippians chapter 2 for a little while until my attitude starts to look a little bit more like the attitude of Christ. So, you know, do what you will with it, but I I encourage you to to be considering that. You know, as, as you move on with your life, you know, like I said earlier, <laughs> people are supposed to be imitating Jesus Christ, and they're really supposed to be imitating us, because we're supposedly imitating Jesus Christ, right? And so if, if people are going to, people are looking at us for the attitude that they ought to have, I don't know, I guess we, we, uh, we should probably have a good attitude. So, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you, I thank you for conviction. I thank you that you bless us with, uh, with words of wisdom that you, <laughs> that you even, that you don't just pour words into us, God, but that you actually have your spirit inside of us. And, and you know, over time, Lord, I, I know that in my life, you've, you've, um, 
you filled me with wisdom, you filled me with understanding, and, and you've, you've given me this desire to, to encourage others to reach out to you as well and, and ask you to fill them up with wisdom. God, you've, you've, promised, uh, you've promised to give us wisdom whenever we ask for it. And Lord, we don't ask for it enough, but we're asking for it now. We pray that you would fill us with wisdom, your wisdom, godly wisdom. We pray that you would, that your spirit inside us would do its good work, that you would change our desires, that you would, uh, Lord, one of the things that you said your spirit would do is remind us what you're, about your words, bring your words back to our remembrance. And so I pray, Lord, that your spirit would do that work in us, that you wouldn't let us forget what it is that you've taught us tonight and what you've, you've been teaching me this week. I pray that you wouldn't let us forget pray that you would keep it on our on our minds keep it on our tongue that we would that we would be mindful of it that we would speak about it but most importantly god that we would live it out because god i know i know that it's easy to to learn something and to know something and it's a little bit more difficult to actually put that into practice and live it out you know it's it's easy to say that something is right it's a little harder to to actually go and and do the right thing and especially with an attitude, an attitude is a difficult thing to change. In fact, Lord, I'm not even sure that it's possible for us to change our own attitudes. But you can change them, Lord. You can change them. You can reach into our minds and, and pour understanding into us. You can reach into our hearts <laughs> and fill us with joy, the joy that you have. You can, you can reach into our soul and you can do your good work there and you can... You can give us the desire and the ability <laughs> to do what you want us to be doing. And we will be blessed through it. And so we pray these in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.